Wednesday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. If you're on the roads, two hands on the wheel. Stay safe, and we'll keep you occupied no matter when you're listening, whether you're tuning in right now or diving in via the podcast as well. We've got lots to jump into today on Alvin Williams Wednesday as he is going to join us a little bit later on in the show, Jonesy. But I don't know where you want to start with things right off the bat today. We're going to have Justin Termini from XM uh, Radio joining us in, in about 10 minutes' time, but lots to dig into. And where, where do you want to start, Jonesy? I, I often direct the ship and guide the ship for the very first question, but I feel like sometimes you're just chomping at the bit to, to dig your teeth into something. So what hit you from last night's action in the NBA? Oh, yeah, by the way, the Raptors getting set for the Oklahoma City Thunder tonight uh, with uh, another home game down at Scotiabank Arena in a very home-heavy month of December. Uh, for me, it was just kind of uh, watching that Lakers-Celtics game and mm-hmm. uh, taking me back to uh, the rivalries of the past and the Lakers and Celtics and how uh, – my view of the entire rivalry has changed. Uh, I was such a uh, a diehard. They weren't my team, but uh, you know, m- my father was a, a a college football fan, and there was one team he didn't like. And when they asked who was his favorite team, he says, "I don't know who's playing so and so this week," because he couldn't stand when they won. So <laughs> the Lakers weren't my team. But anybody who could beat Boston back in the day, I was I was good with that. Um, especially being a, a Dr. J fan and watching those battles, and and so now I, I look at the rivalry, and I watch the way it's changed over time for me. Uh, you know, from a uh, from a personal standpoint, and looking at how in two thousand, I guess it was eight, I was cheering for the Celtics against Kobe and the Lakers. Come on, of, man! Uh, because of my my alignment, my allegiance, my friendship with Doc Rivers, I I really wanted to see Doc win a title. I really wanted him, you know, minority coaches. Uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned this yesterday at the end of the show. I think I might have, you know, with all that's going on in Portland. You did with, with Phillips. Yep. Yeah, yep. Chauncey. You know, and it's it looks like it. I mean, things are falling apart there. Steve, our guy Stephen Silas thinks he's getting Harden and Westbrook, and he ends up with the number two pick and, and 17 straight losses at one point. Um, so I wanted for a minority coach, I, I wanted to see, I wanted to see, uh, see doc win it. And then I look at just how now it's like, okay, I know it's a great rivalry, but I don't really have a horse in that race right now. It's good to watch it. It's good to know the history, but I, I so I watched that game last night um, with a little bit of, uh, it'll be interesting to see what the Lakers do. Uh, boy, do the Celtics really need to do something and and trade either one of Jason Tatum or, or Jalen Brown? And it, the irony of to me of it is, Jason Tatum is and a, a whole bunch of guys from this generation are Kobe guys, and Jason Tatum, everybody says his his career arc changed between first and second year when he had a chance to work with Kobe. And he developed the, quote, Mamba mentality. And some people are are convinced that he doesn't pass the ball nearly as much as he used to, could, or should, because he's developed that mentality. So, um, you know, I, I watch it with a whole bunch of things in mind. Do they need to move one of those guys? Uh, what's going to become of the Lakers? 
They've had a whole bunch of home. I know we're going to talk to Justin Termini about this. They've had a whole bunch of home games. They're only 13 and 12. Uh, you know, Frank Vogel, his chair, apparently by the sounds of it, is getting a little bit warm. Uh, you know, and people said that's how it is when you're with LeBron. Either he moves on or you move on as the coach. Hey, and, what was uh, I talking about a couple of weeks ago, Jonesy? Yeah, you were. Yeah, I give you credit. Yep. Yeah. So and, and, it'll be and interesting who were we talking with? I, was it? Was it? I think it was Wojcik, wasn't it? Dan Wojcik, and you guys busted my chops. Like, what? What's with you and Vogel? You got to like. I don't have it out for Vogel. I don't know the man. I don't have anything against him. But I just look and I'm like. You know they're not getting rid of the general manager. You know you're not getting rid of LeBron James or Anthony Davis, and you just got Russell Westbrook. So what's the one thing that's going to change? What's the one shot you could fire right now if you're pointing your finger at somebody? And I, I feel it's coming. Unless there is a major win streak coming that turns this thing around, I think it's coming at some point, like sooner than later. Well, you but, know the guy the guy that's been disappointing to me is Anthony Davis. It, absolutely. It really is. And like people are like, oh, he's a top 75 to me he wouldn't have been on my list as a top 75 the the young guys that are top 75 that make it are usually dominant like Shaq made it in 96 he'd only been in the league like two years or three years or whatever you know a hand you could count him on one hand and people they put him in the top 50 or people like oh I don't know it's a little bit early no I think they had that one right looking down the road I'm not so sure about Anthony Davis. I, 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 I'm really compare the, not. Compare the resumes. Compare the resumes, the awards, the all-star appearances, the impact on the game, et cetera, between him and his teammate. Well, when you look at Dwight Howard and you look at Anthony Davis and look what Howard accomplished over the course of his time, especially on his own, on his, his own, not with years, LeBron, on his own in Orlando. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I mean, there were a lot of guys that got robbed on that list, but Dwight Howard, I think too many people are focusing on Dwight Howard now and not remembering what Dwight Howard was. And if you compare the, the uh, resumes between those two guys, I'll tell you what, I'd be hard-pressed to say I'm not taking Dwight Howard over Anthony Davis because I'll tell you, the line that sticks out with me all the time with Anthony Davis is you as well, like leading the league in DNPs or lead, lead, what do you call it, leading the leagues in, in He leads in injury, the league in, in MRIs. The MRIs, sorry, MRIs, yes, not DMPs. No, it was, he, it, it's not that he doesn't play, he just rarely plays. So, yeah, it's not DMPs, it's MRIs. I, t- I want to circle back for one second, though, because you were talking about the rivalry off the top. Um, I don't know if you caught wind of this, because like most people, you and I and probably 97 99% of the population that would have watched last night would have been watching inside the NBA. But if you happen to catch any of the Lakers broadcast whether it be live or on social media or if you just caught wind of it. James Worthy, who I know you know, and I believe we had him on the show once early uh, in, in last summer or something. But anyways, we've, we've talked to James before, and James used to do even some broadcasts with the Raptors and Grizzlies back in the day on CTV. But big game James. You want to know how, how important this rivalry still is and how it's just in the roots and in the blood, especially of some of those guys from the 80s? After the game last night, and, and any kids listening right now, I'm not going to say a really bad word, but I'm, I'm giving a direct quote. So this wasn't me saying this, but just in case any parents, any kids, whatever, if you want to tune it off for a second or turn it down and turn it back on in about 10 seconds or something, James Worthy on live TV last night was talking about how the Lakers aren't really as sharp as they need to be, but then he says, direct quote, sharp enough, though, to get that Celtic ass. And then live on the air... He lights up a cigar, <laughs> smokes the cigar in studio while doing the post-game show for the Lakers, 
And he goes on a, a, a bit of a mini rant accusing Cedric Maxwell, the former Celtic and Boston Celtics analyst, of stealing a bunch of his catchphrases and stealing his, his work, basically. Like, this is how many years later, how many decades later, and James Worthy... Yeah, okay, Lance, apparently, I didn't even know. Lance, you're on your game, man. Lance has the audio of this, so let's... Let's let, instead of me recreating it even more, let me let me give it to you right now. James Worthy last night. Game, James Worthy. That's a worthy that, and that was a good performance tonight. Still, was, still not as sharp as they want to be, but sharp enough to get that Celtic ass. And Cedric <laughs> Maxwell, <laughs> just give me a second. Yeah, you go, Cedric Maxwell. I started saying get that Celtic ass maybe three years ago, and all of a sudden. You want to start saying, get that Laker ass. Make up your own stuff. Make That's up your own line. stuff. That's my line. And while you're trying to come up with your own line, take this with you. Big game, <laughs> we got another surprise for you. So glad you called him out. Trying to bite your stuff. Trying to steal my line. Yeah, trying to steal your line. So you, you, heard the, you heard the lighter going. That was him lighting up the cigarette. And then the music, that wasn't us playing that, folks. That was the Lakers studio show playing some jazz music for James in that postgame so, show so he could kick back, put up his feet, enjoy his stogie, and relish in the defeats of the Boston Celtics. Uh, the rivalry runs deep. Um, <laughs> yes. it, it does. And look, I, I, look I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to put my head in the sand and dismiss this because Boston had a reputation because of the way they treated people like Bill Russell. Uh, you know, they, they had a reputation as a city that was not, let's, uh, let me be politically correct here. Uh, not that inclusive. Mm-hmm. And, and it was okay at times if you were a famous black man, but a regular black man uh, wasn't always, didn't always seem to be welcome in Boston. And that was, and that was part of it too. And and you know, even even people would, I think, unfairly at times because I'm I I played and I understand um, basketball is basketball. I don't care what color the guy is or what his race or religion or creed or whatever is. If he can put the ball in the hole and he he's on my team and he wants to win like I do, then we're in it together. But people would make judgments about the Celtics and the, the composition of their roster. You know, and I know, I know. Uh, when we get him, our next guest, um, you know, Justin Termini feels that the '86 Celtics were one of the great, if not maybe the greatest team in NBA history. I mean, it, th- that's a great thing about that. It's always up for debate, but there were a lot of teams around the league, and because of the way Red Auerbach did stuff, he'd 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 hoodwink people. You know, he got Robert Parrish for for nothing. And, and, you know, he was one of the sharper guys that would look at a guy at the end of somebody's bench and go, we need him, we can use him. And all of a sudden the guy shows up with the Celtics and becomes a champion. So, uh, you know, Boston wasn't everybody's favorite. And then they're dominant. They were dominant, E, and we know this. Dominance creates polarity. You either love it or you hate it. There's no kind of, oh, yeah, that's nice, you're in the middle. I mean, think of somebody that was dominant or a team that was dominant or a franchise. Dominant create, dominance creates polarity. You either love them or hate them. 
and there's no in between. And that's, you know, the Celtics, the Yankees, the Canadians, the, the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, you know, back in their day anyway, uh, you know, the Green Bay Packers, Tiger Woods, Muhammad Ali, like it, you either loved it or hated it. It was it was one or the other. And, and uh, there were as, one, as many people that loved Boston, a lot of people really despised them. Yeah, well, you know where I stand on that. Oh, as a Laker Stop. fan, come on, <laughs> come on, Showtime Lakers. I it's in my blood to hate. In fact, yesterday, you you saw the messages I was sending around about Larry Bird celebrating his 61st birthday yesterday. And I didn't see that. I didn't see that. You didn't? I didn't see your messages. Oh. No. I said Larry finally looks his age. Took oh, him boy. to get to 65 to actually finally look his age. But anyway. <laughs> That's just just one little shot for Larry. One little shot for Larry. I, I got to give it up, though, obviously. How, how can you hate on Larry Bird? But, I mean, you know, it's in my blood to hate him as a Showtime Lakers guy. As I, as I do the show staring at this picture of my man Magic Johnson, Jonesy. All right, we bring into the conversation right now. You mentioned him. He's there right now, host of NBA Today on Sirius XM Radio. You can listen in 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Monday to Friday. Justin Termini. Justin, thanks for the time today. Well, I grew up in the shadow of the Boston Garden, so I'm a bird over magic guy, so I apologize for that. No, no, that's, that's Justin. Right. Right. <laughs> Justin, it's right be- okay. Hold on, hold on. Right before you came out, I'll, I'll let him know, Jonesy, and then you can take it over. Jonesy did warn me that Justin still believes that the 1986 Boston Celtics team may be the greatest of all time. I would, I would fight you on that one, but, but again, we can have a common respect and appreciation for one another. Yeah, no, I, I, and again, I think, think the 2017 Warriors might be in the mix now. So uh, it was up until like this new, uh, this new era where everybody's teaming up. I felt that was the best like team built by an organization. Uh, so it's debatable now. Yeah, no, Justin, I, I agree, and and that's the thing now. The a lot of the players have a say in where they're going, and before it was all manipulation by management i mean i look at you know i I, like i was cheering for dr j in 83 when the 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 sixers won it and they couldn't get over the hump they couldn't get past the lakers and then boom they make a trade for moses malone and and things change and and so um you know this idea from people that oh there were no super teams in the past oh there were and there were great players together on great teams it was just more manipulated by by management as opposed to the players now teaming up and and I Justin I'm uh, you know unabashedly I I listen to you and Eddie almost every day on my drive down to the arena or when I'm out at at four o'clock I'm I'm listening to the two of you uh, you know and and I love your 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 discussions Uh, I love how heated it gets sometimes sometimes I'm on your side sometimes on his side but give me you think it, the 86 Celtics are the best team, uh, you, the Warriors. Is there another team in there? And as a Celtic fan, I want you to kind of critique the Lakers right now and how hot Frank Vogel's chair really is. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I'll throw one out there to, to Eric here to kind of get back on his good side. I mean, I think the 72 Lakers have to be in the mix for that as well, right? Uh, 68 wins, the 33 consecutive wins in, in a row as well. So they could be thrown into the mix. I know everybody likes to talk about the 67 Sixers with the guys that have seen them play that I've talked to. have said that was an all-time great team with Wilt, obviously, and the best team that he ever played for. Uh, actually, he played for two. He played for the 72 Lakers with uh, with Gail Goodrich and West, but then Hal Greer on that uh, on that 67. Teams, so throw them in there. Heck, you're 83 Sixers, right? With the full, full, full after they were dominant in the regular season. I think that's a team that gets underrated when Moses was at the peak of his power. So, yeah, there's there's a five or six teams I think you can throw into the mix as the all time greatest team in the 96 Bulls. As far as the Lakers right now, 
I mean, it goes back to what you said about like those players manipulated super teams, right? It's like the Lakers were incompetent for years. Look at Toronto. Toronto Masai Ujiri, Nick Nurse, Dwayne Casey, when he was there, like they built an organization where they go out and they draft guys and still sometimes they get unlucky because guys don't want to stay like Kawhi Leonard. If Masai Ujiri and Nick Nurse built the structure that they had in Toronto and they built it in L.A. or they built it in Miami or they built it in Golden State or New York, like Kawhi never would have left and you guys would have won multiple titles. Unfortunately, it's like winning just isn't good enough for some guys. They want to go to like a warm weather place or a big market or, or somewhere where they want to live in Toronto, even though I love the city and I'm sure you guys do live in there. Uh, it's just not looked at maybe like that is a, it's a great place to visit for NBA players, but not a great place to, to live for some reason. Uh, but in regards to the current Lakers, yes. Yeah, so they got lucky with the team manipulation incompetent for years. LeBron wants to go out and live in Hollywood. Anthony Davis forces his way there. Uh, and right now it's just about the fit. We had Lionel Hollins on the program yesterday who is an assistant coach the last couple of years. I don't pin it on Frank Vogel. He's got four guys that are supposed to be top 76 players of all time, including one. And I thought Charles Barkley put it perfectly last night that is supposed to be in his prime. Where is Anthony Davis? He should be able to carry by now. LeBron was supposed to maybe carry him the first year. Show it's how it's done. And now Anthony Davis at the age of 27, he's supposed to be a top five player in the league. Let's see him step up a little bit. That's my assessment. Yeah, right before you came on, Justin, we, we threw out the, jo- the line that Jonesy likes to use quite a bit, that Anthony Davis leads the league in MRIs. And, and you know, he's, he's yeah. a guy that, you know, you're, you're looking for much more from him. But when you look at that record right now for the Lakers, 13 and 12, listen, you, you just touched on it all. You've got four top 75 guys. You've got a deep stack team, granted some of them, you know, getting up there long in the tooth. But at what point then? Does it just become about Vogel? Because you know you're not making a trade with any one of those big guys. You know nobody in management's going. So if you're going to fire that shot, that's the way it goes in pro sports, right? It ends up coming back on the coach whether it should or not. Yeah, and that's what Lionel Holland said yesterday. It just comes with the territory, especially when you're coaching LeBron. But, like, if I'm listing whose fault it is, he's at the bottom of the list. I mean, uh, LeBron has a lot of say in how that team is constructed. We had Rob Palenka on the program a couple of years ago, said he passes everything by LeBron and Anthony Davis. And those guys constructed this roster, not Frank Vogel. I'm sure Frank Vogel didn't want to lose Alice Russo, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, guys that would help him defensively on the perimeter and replace him with, you know, Malik Monk and, and Russell Westbrook, who really don't guard anybody. So uh, that's going to be a major problem for him right now. And, you know, that I can't pin on Vogel, who's an awesome uh, defensive coach. Uh, but he's going to have to figure something out. And, yes, he's the guy that's ultimately going to pay the price. They're not going to get rid of Russell Westbrook, one, because uh, he's a huge star, and two, I'm not sure anybody wants the contract. So it's on Vogel. You guys are right. Do they have the they have the ability, Justin? Do you see this team? I mean, everybody keeps saying, "Well, we're only a quarter of the way in, and they've had injuries, and you know they're they're still learning roles." And when when does that stop? They they definitely have the ability to turn it on if they get all these guys playing well. But we know that 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 chemistry and communication and all those things factor into it. And I don't know if, if it, when it comes down to it at the end, some guys are going to be happy with the role that they've been given. Yeah, I mean, and you're, you're right. The, the Tim, I mean, look at the 2004 Lakers. Now, they got all the way to the NBA Finals before it blew up. But then a couple of years later, when they brought in Dwight Howard and Kobe and Steve Nash, uh, and I think they were, ended up being the seventh seed and barely getting into the postseason, maybe it's a team like that. But I, I don't know about how you guys feel. I can never count them out. I mean, because LeBron's got another gear once they get to the postseason. I'm like, I wouldn't consider him a top four player right now in the league. 
But you get to the postseason, like on any given night or any given series, LeBron could still be the best player on the planet. And then you have to assume Anthony Davis is talented as he is. Uh, you know, will will find himself at one point. Uh, I guess my major concern, and Russell Westbrook's playing better right now, but I don't care how good he plays during the regular season. Like, it's the last two minutes in a tight game and a game that means something. Is he going to make the right decision? And that's just something I can't envision or I have a hard time believing. I I, I could see him messing up in a big spot with the decision-making. So I think that's still my biggest concern, even though he's playing really well right now. Speaking with Justin Termini from NBA uh, XM Satellite Radio. Now, uh, Justin, when we look at um, the Lakers in the Western Conference and see where they're standing right now uh, overall, 13-12 and 12 after the victory last night, sixth seed, and we're you know, past the quarter point now. So I start looking at the standings a little bit more. The team that's just below them, and I can draw a parallel to the Toronto Raptors, I suppose, as well. The Dallas Mavericks sitting a game below 500. they They've lost three in a row, but what really stands out to me as well is the home record now sitting at just 6-6. Six and six. They've dropped a bunch in a row on their home floor. The Raptors are suffering through that this season as well, just 4-8 and eight on their home floor. Am I wrong to think that, A, we expected more from Dallas, and, B, we're on December 8th today. We're a week away from... Uh, free agents that signed in the offseason can be moved as of December 15th. That's generally when a lot of trades potentially pick up. How active do you think the Mavericks will be come a week from now and certainly in the coming weeks before February trying to shore up that team, tweak that team, find something to ignite that squad? Yeah, like record-wise, I see what you're talking about with the, with the Raptors and, and the Mavericks, but here's the difference. Is I think that there's been a ton of smart decisions in Toronto over the last several years. I think there's been a ton of dumb ones in Dallas over the last couple of years. Like, And they did the same thing with Dirk. Like, who's the best teammate Dirk ever played with? Now, he was an all-time great, and they still didn't really take advantage of it, right? They, uh, they win one championship the last 10 years. They don't even get out of the first round since they won that championship. And his best teammate might be Jason Terry or like an aging Jason Kidd or, or Tyson Chandler. And they're headed down that road with Luca right now as well, where they've got an all-time great talent, but they're not surrounding him with great stuff. Mark Cuban, when we were out at the Las Vegas Summer League, said that he felt that they improved drastically over the offseason. They added Reggie Bullock. Reggie Bullock right now is averaging five points a game on like 25% shooting from three, and he's supposed to be a knockdown shooter. So they didn't do anything in the offseason. So they're in danger of like not surrounding Luca with great pieces, just like they did with Dirk. Now, Dirk was able to overcome it because Dirk took his crap seriously. Do we know if Luca's doing that right now? Because we talk about Zion's week consistently. I don't know if you guys have looked at, at Luca. Oh, yeah. And even oh, yeah. A little bit last night. He's not in shape. So, like, Jerry West a couple of years ago saying he's going to be the best Maverick of all time, like he's going to be better than Dirk, the comparisons to Magic and Bird. Hey, you can't do that unless you're going to take it seriously and be in shape. And, you know, I heard the reports yesterday he came at a camp at 260 pounds. That's not going to cut it. Uh, Justin, and Eric knows last year we did – uh, we didn't get to see guys live because we did the games from Toronto with the team in Tampa. And, you know, the night that they played the Mavericks, I said, just keep your eye on Luca. Everybody loves him. Uh, he's a great player. He's a great talent. But he plays one end of the court when he feels like it. And Eric Eric and I were all over that for the entire game. I, I, I think the kid's got great talent. Uh, I think he's he's a heck of a player. But... I think there's a difference at some point between today's players and uh, their comfort level as opposed to the players from back in the day that were, you know, that were, uh, for lack, for to use an NBA term, that were, they had some more dog in them than a guy like Luca does right now. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, for him to be at the top of the MVP list the last two years, I'm going to talk about this extensively on the show today on SiriusXM, but for him to be at the top of the MVP list when he really hasn't accomplished anything yet, and I'm going to look back at, like, that GM survey, Paul, that that I know you uh, know they do at the beginning of the year where all the GMs, like, yeah. vote on different things, and they voted on Giannis as the best international player, obviously, but then second, he got some votes, was, was Luca, and I tweeted about this last night. I'm thinking, like, there's a significant gap between uh, between Giannis at the top and and Jokic. Jokic was won a deserved MVP last year. He might be the best player so far in the league this year. The team around him just stinks because of all the injuries. Like those two guys are on another level. Then there's a big gap, and it's Luca. He should not be the front runner for MVP with so many great players in the league at the outset of the season. He's got to start to prove himself a little bit, and that starts with like staying in shape. Yeah, you know what, Justin? I'll tell you, Jonesy. You and I chatted about this earlier this year as well, and it's not meant to be like you know body shaming or anything like that he was looking fleshy and and he's not in shape you can tell he's, he's definitely not in shape at this point and he's gonna have to get himself there because then you're even prone to more injuries and whatnot if you're at playing at that this elite level justin i want to switch gears a little bit and, and stay on the topic though of teams that might be looking to to make moves a lot of rumblings now coming out even the last 24 hours if not before about what the pacers may be do, doing and if it's time to hit the reset button and i gotta assume that if they're willing you know again assuming that some of these reports are correct if they're willing to move just about anybody including sabonis turner lavert etc there's got to be a whole lot of teams getting ready to make moves now i don't know what the asking price is going to be but those guys to me every single one of the three i just mentioned would be valuable to damn near every team in the league yeah, I mean, defensively with Miles Turner, the health is a little bit of concern with Karis LeVert and, and Sabonis. I don't see why you want to move him. He's a two-time All-Star at the age of 25, okay? And two consecutive All-Star appearances. So that's the guy we'd covet the most. Uh, and, you know, Daryl Morey's patience might be starting to pay off because you're seeing all the rumblings in Portland. You're seeing that in uh, uh, in Indiana as well. But so Eddie and I talked about this extensively yesterday. Uh, he thinks Miles Turner would be the better fit in, uh, in, in Golden State. I think he'd be a great fit. Uh, I'd prefer I'd prefer Sabonis because he's just such a great passer and such a great rebounder, and his passing skills, you know, fitting into this Warriors team with how great they move the basketball. Like I'd love that. That's a major upgrade. And Golden State needs to make a move because, like Phoenix is a Phoenix. They might be better than Phoenix, but Phoenix doesn't have any holes. Like just you know, one through twelve on that roster, they're seamless. They don't do anything great, but they don't make any mistakes. Golden State does a lot of things great, but they got a massive hole at the center position. I don't think James Wiseman in the second year after 39 games last year is is enough to make me comfortable. So if it means moving him and I'm Golden State, if it means moving you know Moody and Kaminga and a lot of these young guys, even if they could be stars a year from now, I'd do it anyway, especially for a guy like Sabonis, maybe even Miles Turner, because those guys can step in right now and, and put them over the top. Uh, I agree, Justin. A lot of people talk about uh, draft picks, and we went through that in Toronto here. The year, the years when they were building towards a championship, it almost never got off the ground because people were, people were in for the tank. And that I, you, I've said this many times, and I will stand by it. You tell me when winning is a bad thing, and and it's it's never a bad thing. Teams that tank never get to, uh, you know, they they never get there. I mean, look at all that Philly went through. They still haven't been to a conference finals yet. And and all these people that you know, Sam Sam Presti's going to have every draft pick for the next ten years. They're going to say Oklahoma City is now on the clock for the next two hours of the draft, and everybody's going to go have coffee and come back. But I'm I'm with you. Like, go for it now. Make the move now if you can, because those championships, those windows can close 
very quickly. And and another team that I'm looking at in that regard is the Utah Jazz, Justin. People of and Utah, I'm sure the fans are like, you know what? Let's get to the playoffs and show me something now. Yeah, I mean, listen, I loved Utah a couple of years ago. I picked them to make it to the NBA Finals the year of the bubble at the outset of the year. Then, you know, the COVID happens. You go to the bubble. It changes things up. The whole Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell controversy. Uh, you know, speaking of the team, you brought up Sam Presti. It boggles my mind that uh, that Dennis Lindsay really gets a, you know, loses his job in, in Utah because he's done a great job over the last couple of years. But that's a team that, kind of like Phoenix last year, can come out of nowhere and make a finals run. I love Quinn Snyder, uh, you know, almost as much as I love Nick Nurse. I think Nick Nurse, the best coach in the NBA, but Quinn Snyder is up there. So, yeah, they're just as capable as anybody, maybe behind Golden State and Phoenix, of, of making a finals run, but I've said that the last three or four years. Justin, we appreciate the time today, man. Thanks for joining us and look forward to chatting with you again soon. All right, fellas, thanks for having me on. The 86 Celtics, Celtics would have beat the 87 Lakers if the two teams met there, Eric. So that's where we sit. All right, buddy? All right, I'll let you have it. I'll let you have it just because you're the guest. Wow. Yeah, just because you're the guest, Justin. That's it. That's it. <laughs> there is Justin Termini, host of NBA Today on Sirius XM Radio, 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Monday to Friday. You can follow him on Twitter. Termini Radio. It's T-E-R-M-I-N-E, Termini Radio. Uh, again on Twitter and, and see I can I can do that Jonesy we can do that because as soon as the guy's gone then we go of course he's wrong of course he's wrong 87 Lakers all the way in fact I'd, I, I, I'd, I I'd put I'd put a lot of other Laker teams against that 86 Celtics team I think the 87 Lakers were as the as the kids say now low-key uh, one of the great teams in NBA history um, especially with magic on the mission uh, you know that Laker-Celtic rivalry, they could never get to one another. Uh, and then with Magic and Bird, like 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, those years in there when it was basically Lakers-Celtics and the Pistons were making their rise, that was that was a tremendous era. And um, Magic's hook shot in 87 was, to me, the one that put the Celtics on the map on, on the mat, knocked them down for, and then they had all the stuff go wrong with birds back and all that. But that, when he went, when they went up three, one, and that's still a picture that's emblazoned indelibly in my mind of magic, making the hook shot in the lane over bird, McHale and Parrish, all three were in the vicinity. And, and um, I don't know if you were with me, Eric, um, the, the, when, when I, I spoke to magic in LA and, when you watch that highlight, it goes quiet and you can hear the PA announcer because you've got to announce every basket by the player. <laughs> it goes quiet oh, yeah. and you can just hear, you can just hear as they're running to the bench after the timeout, Magic <laughs> Johnson. And I remember asking Magic, uh, he worked with my brother, I, Irvin, I said, did you hear that when you went to the bench? And he looked at me, and he tilted his head, and he smiled, and he said, in, <laughs> oh, yeah. in classic magic fashion, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was there. I was there, and I remember that magic moment, too. Magic Johnson. Yeah, love it. I love it. It should be my ringtone, actually. I might have to change that. Uh, all right, when we come back, Alvin Williams Wednesdays. Uh, if you like the show, folks, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. We will be back in a moment. 
Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Game day for the Toronto Raptors getting set to host the Oklahoma City Thunder tonight. It's one of those ones on paper that you think the Raptors should take care of, but as Jonesy warned on Tuesday, don't look at the record, especially when you've got the two Canadians with Shea Gilgis-Alexander back in the lineup and coming off a monster performance a couple of nights ago, Lou Dort as well, and you know that they're going to be fired up coming back onto home soil, certainly that much more home soil for Gilgis Alexander with family just down the road in Hamilton. And, of course, Lou Dort, I'm sure, with friends and family and whatnot coming in from Montreal as well. Big ball game down at Scotiabank Arena tonight to talk about that and a whole lot more. It's Alvin Williams Wednesdays with our man, Alvin Williams. Al, good to talk to you as always. What's going on, guys? How are you? Good, good. Al, I want to start somewhere, just a little historical perspective before we even touch tonight. Because before we got into this business, we were all fans. And I know being up here in Canada, I was, I was like, I I stuck out. I was a a rare breed of uh, a guy that was a basketball fan at that time in the eighties, when I would have to go to a place, find a place on the Danforth where, or somewhere where they had uh, a satellite dish and go in and beg the guy to change it from one of the 97 hockey games he had on to (laughs) see Can, hey, dude, can it, can you put it here so I can watch the Lakers and the Celtics on a on a Tuesday night? He goes, what a basketball right, game! Right. I'm like, yeah, yeah, like a basketball game. He goes, well, I, I don't know where it is. I'm like, no, I got the satellite coordinates. Anik D one three vertical. Like, put the satellite there, and I can watch the game. And so we were all fans, and I know you were a fan too. Give me your perspective of that. He, you know, he's a Laker guy from that time. I was a basketball fan, and I was – if you could beat Boston, I was i was on your bandwagon. And you were in Philly. So mm-hmm. give us your perspective of that rivalry, particularly – to me, there was nothing like Dr. J winning the championship in 83, and I'm sorry that he couldn't beat the Celtics along the way because Boston lost to Milwaukee that, that year. But give me your perspective yep. of that Lakers-Celtic rivalry, Al, from Philly. Oh, it was – so I, would, I loved it because I was a Lakers fan. I was a Magic Johnson fan, and, you know, my aunt, she loved Bob McAdoo. And I remember when I, we used to play, put the little trash can up on the chair when she would visit from Florida, and she would always talk about Bob McAdoo. But I was a Magic Johnson fan, so I really got to see the Lakers-Celtics, like that rivalry. And I, to your point, I hated the Celtics because nine times out of ten they were beating the Sixers where I was a Dr. J fan as well. So it was always hating the Celtics loving the Lakers but it was that intensity it was when you think back and was great players across the board when Magic James Worthy Byron Scott Kareem Abdul-Jabbar you had Kurt Rambis you had oh yeah all those guys even going back when Norm Nixon was playing you know before those guys so Magic and then Bird and McHale and Ainge and Parrish you know they had they had Dennis Johnson, and before that, Tiny Archibald. And so, so all of those players, you just saw, like, great players. And it's interesting because the Celtics was always looked at, you know, coming from Philadelphia, and no disrespect to anyone, it was like the white team. But they had a lot of black players, and they played fast, too. They played fast, but they didn't have the typical, you know, one person handling the ball. Everybody passed the ball. Everybody did this. But they were a great team. And I told you guys before on the show, my uncle Kenneth loved the Celtics, and he loved yes. Larry Bird. And he used to tell me how yes. good Larry Bird was. He's better than Dr. J and all that. So it was an amazing. It was an amazing series. And then when you get older, you just see the intensity. You see the game, 
how it was played back then with the elite talent between two teams. And prior to those teams getting to play one another, you had to go through some battles. As you mentioned, the Milwaukee Bucks and things like that. There were some big-time battles. So that was an intense rivalry, and it was one that I loved to watch because it showed Magic Johnson and Larry Bird pretty much being arch rivals. And that's when I really started getting the idea of a rivalry between those two teams. Yeah, let me let me stay on that topic, sort of. Um, I'd be interested in your your assessment of this, especially being in Philly so much and, and working with kids and youth camps and and coaching high school and, and everything else and just growing up in Philly. I might be wrong. This is a very very general statement. I feel like in Jonesy, you be working with the youth a lot too. Tell me if you know, reel me in if I'm wrong in this ass- assessment. I think in Ontario, maybe not Canada, but in Ontario, certainly southern Ontario, the greater Toronto area. There's no denying there are kids out there that are that are Steph Curry fans and LeBron James fans and Luka Doncic and other you know young stars in the game and and elite stars in the game. But I think for the most part, the majority are Toronto Raptor fans. And whether they're DeRozan or Lowry or Kawhi or they're still hanging with the guys that are still here in in, in terms of Siakam and Van Vliet and Ananobi etc. Scotty Barnes. I feel like they are Raptor fans. In Philly, are there as many Sixer fans still to this day? Are there the Joel Embiid fans that are still riding with the Sixers? Or are you finding kids that are, no, 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 I'm a, I'm a LeBron James fan. I'm a Steph Curry fan. I'm a Luka fan. I'm just an NBA fan, and I don't care about the, the Sixers. Or they're still holding on to the past of I'm a Iverson, Dr. J, et cetera. Like, what's the average fan like in the Philly area? No, it's a Philadelphia fan. I think, you know, it's just like Philadelphia. I'm a Philadelphia fan where I'm the Eagles, Flyers, Phillies. And, yes, they have respect for other players and they're fans of the game, but it's Philadelphia or, like, versus everybody. You ever see those shirts like Philadelphia or L.A. or Toronto versus everyone, whatever the case. So it's that mindset. And I think when the kids come up, they're brought up in households that, you know, they're just – they're just fanatics, and it's not like the people get together. Really, they have their cookouts, they have their events, just to see the games and come together and cheer for the Philadelphia sport teams. So it's just it's it's and also with that, Philadelphia has adopted the attitude and the reputation of being pretty much a, a insensitive, violent, rude. They have that like that type of passion behind their name so i think people really take that to heart as well so when they bring their kids up and they bring people and their families they really stick to that and and they really believe that so if steph curry comes to philadelphia he's getting booed and kobe bryant he's getting booed lebron no it's not like you know you come here in toronto where when kobe and those guys would come they would cheer for them when they scored and stuff like that it's not like that in philly they're booing them. They're harassing them. They're they're heckling them until the end, until they leave. They respect them, but they're going at them, man. There's no there's no love for the other side in Philadelphia. Al, how did that impact you as a player? I mean, I I had commented on on the radio many times, um, you know, back when you were playing, and and even I mean, I'm sure we'll see it this year when the Lakers come to town. All of a sudden, the purple and gold shirts come out. In your arena, you're playing in Toronto. You're at home, but people are are cheering for Kobe. They're cheering for the Lakers. There's people that 
circle that one game on the calendar, buy tickets for that one game, and they show up and they're popping their collar with their Laker jersey because the Lakers are in town. Uh, what kind of motivation does that give you as a player when you see that in your own in your own barn, your own gym? You got wait a minute, man. You you cheering for them yeah. in my house? Yeah, I, I hated it. I hated it when you know the Knicks came. You know the traditional teams, the good teams. You know traditionally it was the Lakers and Boston. I, I hated it. You know, I, I did respect when, you know, like events w- w- when he was traded and he would come back and it wasn't many jerseys at all. But you would you would show support like with an old Vince Carter jersey or something like that. But in Philadelphia, they don't do that because, you know, you, you're going to run a risk of getting an all-out brawl if you wear the other team's jersey. You know, it's, it's just I told you guys that's the first time I got two middle fingers up and I asked my dad, I wore a Cowboys jacket which was a touch league. It was a, a youth touch league in Philadelphia that I wore a Cowboys jacket to an Eagles game and a grown man. I was probably eight years old. And I asked my dad, I said, what's his two middle fingers? And I showed my dad. He's like, what, who did that? I said, the man did that to me in the bathroom. And my dad's going all around trying to find a guy. So there's no look like it's none of that. You're not wearing any other body, no, no pad, no, nothing, no equipment, no nothing um, with the other team. He may have a few sprinkles, but, you know, Philadelphia, growing up in Philly, playing in the Sunny Hill League and playing all these leagues that you know about, Jones, you, you said you used yeah. to see teams there, had teams come there. They heckled us when we were young, man. Like, they, they would tell us we were garbage and this and that. When we were, that was just part of it. And, like, you had to go through it. So, although you hated it, it definitely was a motivating factor when the other team came in and you tried to shut them up and try to prove to your fans that we're, we're just as good. But, unfortunately, we weren't good back then. So we used to take the lumps and had to deal with the fact that our fans were sharing with the other team when they came to town. See, I, I know I'm not a dumb guy because when, when I came to Philadelphia with my son to go to an Eagles game, even though I hate the Eagles and I'm a Bills guy, guess who was wearing an Eagles hat for that game? They weren't playing the Bills. So I was like, all right, I'm going to Marshall's and I'm finding myself a, 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 a an Eagles hat for like 10 bucks or something. I'm going to put that cap on and I'm cheering for the Eagles today. And I didn't get one look at at all. I, I know I know where I'm smart. Was, I know what I'm doing, Al. That was that was a smart move because you and Jackson would have been in there rumbling, trying to get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Al, I I don't want to be I don't want to be bailing Eric out at the jail that's underneath. Do they have a jail underneath Lincoln yes. Financial Field? Yes, yes, they, they do. Because they, they used yes, to have one do. at the vet. I know that for sure. Oh, yeah. I, I don't want to be yep, getting a phone call. Do. E, don't waste your one phone call on me if that happens. <laughs> no, I, I was, I was going to call Al. He's 20 minutes down the road to get him out of his estate and come bail me out a little bit. Uh, it's game day for the Toronto Raptors as the Raptors get set for the Thunder tonight. I, I'll throw something else at you, Al. Um, we just had Justin Termini on from, from uh, XM Satellite Radio, hosts NBA Today. And listen, this is one man's opinion. I'm not saying he's right, wrong, or otherwise, but um, I'd be interested in your assessment of the game today Justin, and we didn't even really follow up on it, uh, Jonesy. Justin said that he believes, in his opinion, the best coach in the NBA today is Nick Nurse. And I, I don't know where you stand on that, uh, but when you think about best coach in the game today or even just you know best coach you've ever played for, I know we've talked even in recent weeks about your love and appreciation and the bond and whatever that you had with Lenny Wilkins, but talk to me a little bit, Al, about uh, you know, who you think is, is among the best, but also what makes a coach especially in today's game, a good coach? Man, that's that's hard, man. You know, coaching is so difficult on a professional level because it's not just coaching, it's teaching, 
it's uh it's managing it's it's you know you're coaching your 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 own staff so so that's that's difficult i think being a complete coach is is critical and i think that's what leads to being a good coach or a great coach because you have the player development side you have the patience you have the understanding you have the empathy you have the competitiveness you have the preparation you know how to manage so i think nick nursey does a great job with all of that i think even having to put a staff in place where they're they're those key ingredients is where you can you can make sure your team continues to develop at this stage where you see nick nurse what he does really well and i've always believed this he has the buy-in when you can see a team to go out there and compete night in and night out right and not have many lapses you're going to have some things because you're shorthanded or you know the talent level isn't where it's been from year after year but the guys go out there and they execute and they go out there and play hard. And if you have that, that shows that you have a coach that the team believes in and the guys believe in. So that that's something that I always looked at and it's what Nick Nurse provides. I watch Nick Nurse switch up defenses. I watch him do full court press type of things, things that aren't that aren't traditional for an NBA player, right? So for them to buy in and they continuously do that. That that shows me that Nick is a is a very good coach and not just talking about his adjustments and preparation and his and his ability to to pivot and just try things that you know may not be traditional once again so i think he's a very good coach i think he's a very good coach and it's, the proof is in the pudding you see a success rate but you got to also understand that it will go up and down depending on how long he coaches right so you're going to have bad seasons you're going to have horrible seasons you're going to have good seasons but i think ultimately the coaching that he does and his approach it's going, to, it's going to be beneficial to any team he goes to as long as he has enough time and has the pieces around him. Al, you talked about buy-in, and, and we were uh, hypothesizing and, and you know speculating on the warmth of Frank Vogel's chair right now and what's going on in L.A. because they measure themselves by banners and rings. They don't, they don't, they don't want to get – like LeBron couldn't even – say play in tournament last year the fact that they were in that like they measured themselves by a different standard i'm not sure that he i'm it looks like he has buy-in i mean he's got guys who are veterans that want to win but things just don't seem to be working where do you stay patient or how do you stay patient where do you make moves and a guy like frank vogel he's a championship coach he's got veteran players I, I can't believe that he doesn't have buy-in, but it's but it's not working right now. Yeah, I mean that's that's a tough situation, and not knowing much about Frank Vogel, um, that's one of those things where the organ, organization runs everything, right? It's like the coaches you put a coach in place depending on where what direction you're going in. You know, the Lakers, as you mentioned, they traditionally that that's what they it's, it's championship or bust. They've had some down years, but I think they put that coach in place where, you know, LeBron is there, and now you're going to get these pieces, and they won a championship. But when you have a LeBron, an AD, a Westbrook, uh, uh, who a Carmelo, and these guys, it's best for the coach to realize, I'm going to let these guys lead to a certain degree because at the end of the day, he pretty much has to buy into what those guys and how they guys operate. And that's the unfortunate part. But that's also the part that's great because if you have those older players, but great players, and they can lead the charge, then that makes the coach's job much easier. But that's the other thing because you have egos now, and it's going to be – he's not going to have as much power. It's going to be times where he want to have practice, 
and LeBron and AD and those guys, like, we're not going to have practice. So guess what? We're not going to have practice. So you got to make sure that team is good enough and then that you support it by the organization when it comes to trying to lead a, a, a group of guys like that. Because Frank Vogel, at the end of the day, he's going to always be on the hot seat with a roster like that, and he's always going to be expendable because it's not about the coach. It's about those players. And that's what the Lakers have put in place. And that's why I think they're having some struggles. I think they're truly going to have struggles throughout the year. I think they're going to play inconsistent basketball throughout the year because of the roster makeup. And that's just going to be a challenge that they have. Do they have enough talent to win? Yes. But the game is so different. The game is different now. So they just want to have to make sure those players can adjust to the style of play that's, um, that's part of the NBA today. Al, we appreciate the time. As always, uh, Raptors and Thunder at 7.30 tonight, and we'll see you down at the barn. Appreciate it, Al. See you, see you guys tonight. All right, Al. There is Alvin Williams on Alvin Williams Wednesdays, and yes, indeed, again, 7.30 tonight, Oklahoma City in Toronto to face the Raptors as the Raptors try to inch their way a little bit closer to 500, look for a third straight victory on their home floor. Again, folks, if you like Smith & Jones, Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review the show as well.